Hi, I'm Cody Elaine Oliver. I created the popular Black Love docuseries with my husband after seeing the lack of Black people in media and entertainment in happy, loving relationships. We were actually being told there was a Black marriage crisis. So I asked Black people who were married what it takes to make their marriage work. And after more than 200 interviews, I've heard it all. So buckle up and enjoy getting the full story directly from the couples themselves. This is Black Love, The Interviews. Okay, we met we on met. a blind date. How did we meet? Was, on a blind date. Well, yeah, we met on a blind date. A friend of ours, Wendy Davis, set us up, another actor. And Wendy and I had gone to, she invited me to go to her homecoming so I could meet somebody at her Howard homecoming. I met a couple of really cool sisters, but I was like, man, not really. So I came home, let it all go. Then about a year and some change later, Wendy said, Michael T, I have a girl for you. <laughs> so I said, is, is, is she an actor? She said, stop. Cause she is an actor, right? So she's like, you're an actor. I was like, yeah, that's why I don't want to deal with another actor, right? So I kept trying to talk Wendy out of it. And Wendy, the thing that got me is Wendy said, well, I just want to tell you out of all my friends, if I were a guy, this is the only <laughs> one I would date. <laughs> I said, wow, that's interesting. So I said, sure. And then we were supposed to meet at the Bill Pickett Rodeo, but mm -hmm. uh, I, I had on a yellow jacket. I said, I'll be wearing a yellow jacket. And so. But I was I never on one side of the rodeo and he was on the opposite side of the rodeo. So we never saw each other. I actually rode in the rodeo. I didn't see him. In a competition, I was with uh, Glenn Turman and Reginald uh, T. Dorsey, and we rode in the rodeo in a competition and did well. So I did, I knew she saw me showing out, right? And I was with Wendy. Yeah, and I don't know. And then I saw Wendy and Wendy said, oh, you just missed her. I was like, yeah, right. So I thought she was a flake, right? <laughs> but um, it turns out, uh, did you call me? Yeah, you called me. I told Wendy I, to I have you Wendy, call me. Yeah, I think that's what yeah. it, the way it was, so yeah. I, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so she called me and we talked for a little while. And talked I for a long time. No, it was we? a little while. The and first time it was a little while. The first while? time was a little while, and I was just kind of bored because it was all Hollywood stuff. And I told her I probably wouldn't uh call her back. She was like, Why? No, that's true. I don't remember you telling me you wouldn't call yeah. me back. Really? Yeah. And then she said, Why? I said, Because all we talk about is Hollywood. It's like, I'm just, I don't, that's not how I roll. She said, Well, I was just talking about Hollywood because it's something we have in common. So she said, I can talk about anything. What would you like to talk about? So I said, I don't know, fishing or anything. So she said, She didn't know anything about fishing. And we were on the phone for hours after that. Remember? Until okay. okay. like in the middle, like almost two in the morning, we were talking. So, we set up a date to meet at our church. Turns out she went to the same church as me. But she sat in the front. I sat in the back, like off to the right. So when it was over, I could bounce, right? <laughs> I could get out of there, right? Without all the, hey, I have a script for you. I have this, I have, I could just get out, right? And so we went to church. After church, I didn't see her. I was looking for her and I was like, ah. And I tripping. thought he flaked. I couldn't so find him. So I, I get home like, and then my phone rings and she was like, where were you? I was like, at church. Where were you? Right. She said, I was at church. I didn't see you. I was like, she was like, 
where did you sit? So I told her where I sat. She told me what she said. I was like, oh, she said, so I invited her to come over. So she came over. We went fishing, didn't we? Yeah, we did. We went fishing. Yeah, we went out to San Pedro, went fishing. And there's a rock I like this fish from, but it's kind of slippery getting over to that extended rock. So I... Oh, we got to back up. No, the, our very first... Oh, it was Tommy Tang's. was Tommy Tang's. Our yeah, very first time right. meeting each other was at Tommy Tang's. Yeah, we met at Tommy Tang's. And I had a screening to go to around my friend, Sam Jackson and some more cats. And so Sam had this movie called, he and Hallie called Losing Isaiah. So I wanted to take her around Sam and Hallie so they could check her out, see what they thought, right? So <laughs> Hallie thought she was beautiful. Sam was like, I know her, right? So Sam's mama knows my wife's mama. They were homies. They grew up in the same town together. And Sam and, and Latanya know and my Sam sister. And Sam and Latanya know her sister, so they know the whole family. So they were like, oh, she's a good one. <laughs> she's a good one. She's cool. So that was before the fishing day? That was before, before the, fishing. the fishing That was day. the day before. So yeah. That, Right. So that night after that night is when um, after the screening, I think, is when we made the um, plan to plan go to, to meet go, at church. Right. To meet at church. Yeah. So we, Yeah. Yeah. That's what happened because we went and got coffee afterwards because mm -hmm. my friends thought she was bomb. I liked her because she came into Tommy Tang's oh, little gosh. sushi bar throwing her booty around. Oh, like, wow, wow, no, no, right? no. She had on these riding pants that like English riders ride. And she didn't know any first thing about horses, right? But she drove a Mustang. The girl drove a Mustang, right? So she she walks in Tommy Tang's and I was like, oh man, that's her, that's cool, right? So she's turning around so I could see the whole package, right? Then she came in and we, really. and we went to, she's trying to be modest. Then we went to the screening with Sam and Hallie they approved. Then we went and hung out at a coffee shop and we talked for a long time. Met at church the next, well, missed each other at church the next day. Then she came over and we went fishing. Right. Yeah. Oh and, gosh, that's a whole yeah. story. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I know it's a long story. When Sandra and I met, uh, what was that, 94? I think so. It was 94. It was the year Forrest Gump had just come out. So it was 94, because I shot it in 93. My daughter was born in 93. And then uh, about a year and a half later. Yeah, it was about a year and a half. Yeah, after, so it was the end of 94 is when we met, I think. And, um, but she was, my little girl Phoenix loved her. Thought she was the bomb, thought she was amazing. And it was cool. I would say, well, I was, I don't remember. I was in my 30s. So I think I was in my my mid to early 30s. Some of my, this my early 30s, something like that. Um, and I was ready to get married. I was at the point where I was ready to get married. Yeah, so the guys who I, or a guy who I would meet, I would look at them as far as marrying potential uh, or could I see myself with that person in the long term. So when I met him, I said, okay, there is definitely potential there. Yeah, you know, and I knew that, I'll oh, be quiet. And I knew that he, you know, I knew that he was a solid guy. And I knew that he had his head on straight and I knew that he, you know, had his life together. So that was a definite plus for me. So that's when I went, okay, yeah, this is definitely a lot more than just maybe potential. This is, you know, so 
That was my thought process as I was going in and dating him and, and you know, and as we were getting to know each other better and whatnot, so. Yeah, I, I liked Sandra. I thought she was, uh, had some ways that kind of reminded me of my mom a little bit, but not a lot, but just little sprinkles of things I would see that kind of reminded me of my mother. It's like, she's kind of like my mom, right? And then I met her mom and her sisters and everybody in her family's beautiful. Everybody. You just gotta, everybody. Her mama was a killer. And I was like, this is gonna be all right right here if I stick around with this here. But, uh, but I met her dad, who I miss a lot since his passing. And uh, he and I hit it off from day one. He was just a cool guy. You know, he's one of the cats I would have, we would have been friends growing up because he's serious about life. He can be fun but he's serious about getting it, you know? You know what getting it means. That means if you're trying to make some money, you go get it. So he was serious about that. And he was a dedicated family guy, which is, for me, is extremely honorable. I'm not the playboy type, you know? Um, I remember one weekend when I was in my early 20s, being with a girl on Friday, another girl on Saturday, another girl on Sunday, Monday, dude, I stayed in the bed till like Wednesday. And I realized that's the most disgusting way to live your life. And I just felt horrible about myself. So I got that out of my system early. So that one weekend in my early 20s really let me know that that was not the lifestyle for me. I never thought it was before that. But I figured since these women were throwing themselves at me, let me just roll with, man, that, that was too much work. It was too much work. It was just, and it's too much on my body and my mind. So I went back to being who I really am, you know? And, um, and I have a lot of appreciation for Sandra as uh, cause she can handle me. Most women think they could, but they can't. Let me say this, and I guess coupled with uh, talking about what he just talked about too. One of the things I love about him is his faith and his belief in the word and in Jesus. And that was one of the things that I really loved about him uh, because he knows the word a lot and he really helped me to grow. Um, and so I think that maybe what Michael T means by um, I can, can tell handle you what me. I mean. Okay, because I, I mean, there are there are things that I mean, yeah, he can be rough. He can be rough, but he can also be really loving and caring and nurturing. And he's a, he's very honest. Um, but then he can be he can have that rough side, you know. And so you just have to go, okay, and let it just roll off my back and let me keep going. Sometimes, yeah, you can get a little sensitive when people say certain things to you that you don't really care for. You don't like the way it's said. And I know sometimes I probably say things too. All of us probably do, you know? Um, but one of the things that I've learned to do is that you just have to kind of let it, yeah, let it hit you for a couple of seconds. Let it, you deal with it for a couple of seconds and then you let it go. And that's what you have to do. You have to let it go and move on and move forward or else you're not gonna, you're always gonna be butting heads or you're always gonna be angry or you're always gonna be upset or you all, you know, you have to let it go and move on and realize the bigger picture and realize what are the wonderful things about this person that make me 
want to be here, make me make me here in this space. And those are the things you focus on because there's so very little of the other things and there are a lot more of the wonderful things. Listen, one of the things about my personality <clears throat> that I know is I tell people the truth. And sometimes I'm unkind because I don't want to hear it anymore. I don't want to talk about it anymore, so I'll purposely be horrible to shut it down. And that's just kind of the way it is because that has worked for me in my life. It's kept me from like having to rehash and keep talking about the same stuff over and over. I just shut it down. It's not the sweetest thing in the world to do, but like I said, most, most women couldn't handle me because I'm so blatantly frank about what it is I think and believe, you know? But Sandra is able to handle me. She really is. Um, I just think I have an amazing wife and she can handle a brother, but <laughs> most people can't. Am I right? Right, yeah. yeah. Um, I think that one of the ways that you get to that point where you feel that, all right, you know what? I have to let this go for the greater good of the relationship. I think you really have to look at your life, period, and realize that, you know what? It looks like, and people say it all the time, and I know it's a it's a saying that's a redundant saying, but the grass is not always greener on the other side. It is not. And so many people think that, well, you know, I don't have to deal with this anymore. I'm gonna go and get me somebody who can I can who can deal with me and I can deal with them. Guess what? You're gonna hit a wall with that person too. And there's something else that's gonna come up with that person too. And so you have to just know that, all right, you know what? This person means so much to me. And Continuing with this relationship and making sure that this relationship sticks means so much to me. Now, obviously, if they're abusing you, that's a totally different situation. Right. We're not even talking about that. That's a whole different conversation. But if they're not abusing you, if it's just that, okay, you know what, we're just buttheads now and then. Sometimes he says things I don't like. Sometimes I say things he doesn't like. He hurts my feelings. I hurt his feelings. Okay, you know what? Got to get over that kind of stuff. There just comes a point where you have to get beyond that. And I think one of the things that helped me is just, I go to God with a lot of stuff. And my faith really helps me through a lot of things um, and helps me to get past a lot of things and to realize that, okay, you know what? You gotta look at the bigger picture here. And this is somebody who you really love and really care about. So- And he's really cool. And he's a really cool person. Yes, So he is. move forward. Leave it alone. Leave it behind us. Move forward. You, you know, uh, one of the, th the things that I, I've learned about this relationship is to just be honest with myself and with Sandra about everything. I don't tell her everything because she's not a garbage receptacle. So when I go home, I don't just dump everything on her. There's some stuff I'll tell her but I'm careful about what it, cause she carries the weight of it. So I'm careful about what it is I tell her. I try to keep her informed so she knows and understands why I'm making certain decisions that may seem challenging, but she'll understand it if she's kind of on the journey with me when information's coming at me. And when I turn down a project for a lot of money, she'll understand why, because it's not just coming out of the blue. I also understand that men are hunters. And that one of the things that helps this marriage work is 
she doesn't try to stop me from doing things that I want to do. I explore a lot of things. Men get themselves in trouble in relationships because they're we're hunters. So I fly airplanes. I take guitar lessons. I do a whole lot of different flute stuff. Lessons. Flute lessons. I jam with somebody's band. I go and record in the studio. Yeah, I do all kinds of building projects, but because I know that I have to pursue something else. That's because if you don't acknowledge the fact that you're a hunter, most men, if they don't have something to do, they'll find somebody to do. That's just who we are. We're hunters. And so I encourage a lot of my homeboys to move forward with that understanding that they're hunters and go after something that is significant and has some meaning, you know? And so you go after something so you don't go after somebody. There's an actor who lived next door to me when I was a kid, lived two doors from me. His name was Leo Johnson. I don't know where Mr. Johnson is, but in the absence of my dad, he was the kind of neighborhood mentor who would look out for the young men and speak life to them. And he used to tell me and teach me a lot of stuff because I would hang around Mr. Johnson. I would clean up his yard. I would do just different stuff just to be around Mr. Johnson because he was cool because my dad was gone. But I, I would wait for Mr. Johnson to come home from work and if he could hang out and talk for a few minutes or give me something to do, I felt connected to somebody. And so I don't know where he is, but it comes from a guy named Leo Johnson. And, um, and uh, he's the guy who taught me a lot when I was a kid. Yeah. Michael T does everything. He fixes cars. He can do plumbing. He can do electric. He can do so many different things. So it's, you know, yeah. Um, he, he keeps his hands and his mind really busy. Plus he writes and he, I mean, you know, and he has writing projects and writing partners. And so, I mean, he just, he golfs. And so he's always doing something. Always. Yeah, I think it's important. Mr. Johnson was a member of a group called the Buffalo Soldiers, and they rode horses and uh, they would bring the horses on our street and practice all of their different maneuvers. And he did a guest star on a show called High Chaparral. And I found it on television <laughs> and recorded it. And I probably watch it once every couple of weeks just to see him. You know, and I have no idea where this cat is, but um, I hope he's well, you know, but he he's the reason that I treat my wife the way I treat my wife, because Mr. Johnson treated his wife like gold. He really did. Well, for me, my parents were married for 50 years, so I came from a very opposite situation than Michael T. Um, and. My parents had met when they were adults, actually, and uh, they were both teachers. They were both professors. At? And they met at Tennessee State and then moved on to Atlanta. So my father was very strict. He was, I mean, he spoke what he thought, too. He was like, this is what it is, as you know. But also, he was very loving, too. And as we got older and became adults, he really showed that love and, and became more of a friend than a parent. So I had two parents who were just wonderful people. 
Um, and no, they didn't always say everything wasn't roses for them and we could hear it, <laughs> you know, when they get into arguments or fights and it, it never lasted long. And I just always used to see, I guess my mother just kind of let it roll off her back too. I mean, she'd say something, she'd say a little something. My mother's feisty woman. I know he's yeah. she, like she's, my mom. A, she's a feisty woman, yeah. but she also let it go after a while. She just let it go. And I guess that's probably where I, I mean, when I come to think about where did I get that from, that's probably where I got that from, is just letting it go too after a while. Um, because the relationship means more than just, oh, okay, I'm going to hold on to this anger or I need this to hurt be right. or yeah, I got to be right. I got to be, no, I don't have to be. And I'm probably out of all my siblings, I am probably the one though who lets things roll off their back a lot easier. And I don't feel like I just have to have the last word and I just have to be right. I know when to just let it go. And that's another thing in marriage, both parties, you got to sacrifice, but you also got to know when just don't say a word. It's not worth it. You got to pick and choose your battles and make sure that they're the right battles, you know, that you're picking and choosing. But um, you got to make sure, though, that you let things go. And so I would probably say my mom is where I got that from. But um, but I came from a, a really I, a lot of music in my household. My father is a, was a huge jazz buff, huge. So it's interesting. I got a husband who loves music, too. And our youngest play daughter, music. yeah, and play music too. My father never played an instrument. And then our youngest daughter plays an instrument and loves music too, just like him. So uh, it goes from generation to generation, I guess. And it's kind of, you know. But, yeah. Well, we have two daughters who play instruments. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Nicole. The youngest is a trumpet player. And yeah. then Nicole is a, guitar. is a guitar player who started on a clarinet and then taught her sister Maya how to play a clarinet. She'd come home from her clarinet lessons at school and show Maya how to do it. But they both play, Nicole plays guitar and ukulele right. and bass and, mm -hmm. and likes to sing and stuff like that. But, uh, mm -hmm. but I never wanted to be married again. I was married once before and it wasn't cool. Um, it, was, it was a hard person to be married to. And then I got married again and didn't know I was married. <laughs> no, I'm Same. serious. Drinking champagne. That's why I don't touch champagne, man. I don't know what happened to me. And I didn't believe it till I saw the videotape. And I was like, what? And then this marriage license shows up in the mail. I was like, oh, holy smoke. This is crazy. I don't want to be married to her, it, to her. So I had to cut that damn loose, right? It's crazy. And then I never wanted to be married again. Then I met Sandra. We were supposed to get married. And I moved the date another year. And that didn't go over so smoothly. And then on our wedding day, I told her I wasn't coming. Yeah. That I would give everybody their money back for their yep. plane tickets and hotels. I ain't doing this. Yep. That morning when I was getting my hair done at the at the salon, thank God they only opened up the salon for me. <laughs> it, was, it was me and my mother. My mother got on the phone with him. And she said, I'm going to. Call your mother. <laughs> I was a grown man. Only you call what? You gonna yeah. call my mama? Oh man! Yeah. But um, she wants to know what. Yeah, happened. but 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 what happened was, there's a person I'm no longer friends with, a brother who, uh, supposed to be walking with the Lord, but has a jealousy issue that everyone around me kept telling me. He told me 
that he didn't believe she was the right person for me and this and that. And she really does, she only has time for your money. She doesn't have time for you. And we were going through a situation where she was planning the wedding. She was never around. I was trying to make contact with her. And she was never available and never around. And so with, I'd never mentioned that to him, but it seemed like what he was telling me matched up with that. And I was like, let me just pay everybody their money now for coming out to California for this wedding. Let me pay for everything so nobody's out of pocket and let me hit the brakes. Well, didn't he say too that God had told him? Yeah, he was talking about God told him and God showed him this and that and this and that. But it was things that I was feeling without having told him that she was not available to me. I keep trying to find her and she's so focused on this wedding, marriage, marriage, focus, focus, that I was like, wait a minute. You're so into this event of the wedding, you're not really paying attention to me. But I hadn't factored in that she was her own wedding planner. So she didn't have the time because that's a production. <laughs> and so we finally, I said, we don't even talk. She called me. I called you, I think. Mm -hmm. oh, on the, the phone. Yeah. And I asked to speak with her and they put her on the phone and then we talked for about 10 minutes. And then I had a change of heart once I heard her heart. Oh, when I was at the salon, you're saying, yeah. When no, no, you were at the house, weren't you? No, because um, I was. I stayed at the hotel. Okay. Um, but I think what happened, yeah, at the at the salon is when you said, okay, well, yeah, well, let's. I said, well, I don't remember when it was where we when we finished. I think we talked more at the salon because he finished my hair. And okay. then finished my mom's hair. And then we talked. Then when I got to the venue, you said, I want to see you before. I want to see you when I get to. I want to come pray with you is what I that's told That's what you said. Uh-huh. Yeah. At the, at the place where we got married. Yeah. And so that's when you came up to my room and people were like, he shouldn't be. I was like, it's okay. Yeah. They're all in rules. You can't see her before. Man, I've seen her. I've seen everything she got. What's wrong with you people? Right? All these rules. Stop that. So... But I needed to see her mm -hmm. face to face and pray with her and tell her what was going on with me. And then she told me and I was like, no, what? you're right. So we had a meeting of the minds mm -hmm. and then I, be, I could trust it 100 percent. And I said, all right, we're good. So we got married, but I canceled it on the day of the wedding because I was not feeling. It. Well, I was really hurt. I was really, really hurt. And I felt that. People who are outside of our relationship were meddling in our relationship. And that he trusted, at that time I felt like, oh, so you trust them more than you trust me. And so I was really, really hurt. Um, and then, like, I, like he said, I guess that yeah, at some point we felt like, okay, well let's, I think after he realized, or no, he got a phone call from somebody saying that that's what it was. Yeah, the same guy's wife Heard him make that call to me, and because my brother and I, we've my brother said because my brother was going to officiate yeah. the wedding, mm -hmm. and so my brother Johnny, the pastor, Johnny said, "Well, brother, whatever you decide to do, he says we'll pray about it." But he said, "But do what God said do." I said, "Okay." So we prayed about it and asked God to show us what I needed to see to make this situation right, to fulfill His will, and. Um, and then the phone rang when we finished praying and it was the same dude who called me with all that stuff. And his wife 
was on the other line and she made him get on the phone and call me back and straighten that out. And she said, you call him right now. Cause she didn't like what he did, right? And so I was like, you Negro, right? I couldn't believe it. I wanted to reach through the phone. And so then I said, all right. So my brother and I talked a little while. Then I called Sandra back, call me back. Mm -hmm. and asked if I could see her. Mm -hmm. And then she said, yeah, forget all the rules of you can't see the bride and yeah. stuff. And but it was yeah. just been, it's been, yeah, it was great. I think once he prayed about it, once Michael T. prayed about it with uh, Brother John and got that answer that, okay, you know what? Everything's okay. Then I felt comfortable enough because I felt like, okay, you went to God about it. You know, you're supposed to be this faith-filled man and you listening to this other person over here? Are you kidding me? And so he, but then he talked to John and he talked to God about it and he felt secure. And so because of that, when he told me that, then I felt, okay, it's secure. Everything's gonna be okay. Everything's gonna be okay, you know? Um, but I don't even remember if we told my father. I don't, I know I didn't tell my father. I don't know if my mother told my father, but I knew my mother knew and she was upset about it. But then she was like, okay, it's all over with. Okay, let's just go on and let's just get everything together and let's, just, okay, everything's now back to normal. <laughs> so it's that whole let it roll off your back kind of a thing, you know, but. But, but <laughs> Sandra's mom and I, I like that. Yeah. Because I feel blessed that she gave me the kind of daughter that she gave her daughter to me. And her mom and she are like, she's like the mini version of her mother. Taller, but still like, <laughs> but in, it's so interesting that we are our parents. Mm -hmm. But every time I go back and forth to Chicago, either directing or acting on Chicago PD, I'll fly from Chicago to Atlanta and spend a couple days doing construction projects or whatever she needs around the house. But I want to see for myself that she's okay so I can report back that your mom is doing well. And then I'll send her down there to go spend a few days with her mom, just because that's important. Yeah, but, my mom's ninety-three. Yeah, but and yeah. and and cool ninety-three. But yeah, she's not. Yeah, she's not a normal ninety-three. She's not some broken down. <laughs> no, she's not a normal ninety-three. Citizen. She's not that. No. She's not that. She ain't that woman, man. Yeah, but uh, I love her mom. I think her mom is the bomb, and um, I treat her mother like it's my mother. I introduce her as my mother. You know. And all around Atlanta, they go, this is your mom. I'm like, yeah. But I look out for her mom, like I look out for mine. Cause it's, it's my mom mm -hmm. too. Right. So yeah, yeah but we, we make sure, moms. yeah, we keep her <laughs> life as smooth as we can. I think that's mm -hmm. important for the marriage as well. Well, I didn't want to get married again, like I said, because I, my first marriage was a travesty. Uh, there was a lot of deceit. I was, I went into it with, uh, you were really young. I was young. I was 26, I think when I got married and I married the wrong person. And my mom said, baby, if you wait another six months, you may change your mind. And she was right, but I didn't, I rushed it. And then I told you the second marriage was like I drunk on champagne and didn't know I was married. And then I just didn't want it. I just felt like I had everything I needed in my life. I owned a house. I was uh, saving to buy an airplane. 
I had everything. I was cool with everything. I had my health and a nice career. And then my mom was married a few times. Was And those marriages didn't work out because of things that she encountered mm -hmm. in her marriage. And I just figured this institution is probably going to be useless to me, the institution of marriage. And I, I felt I had no use for it. Um, and then when I met Sandra, that began to change because I could see the quality, the caliber of human being she was. And I, and I thought, well, if I had kids, I'd want them to be like her. And because uh, that she doesn't really have a hoochie mama gene. But you see it sneak out in most other babes like a hoochie mama. <laughs> hoochie. And then so, but I never saw it with Sandra. So um, I was like, okay. If she's got no hoochie mama jeans and she's intelligent, she's educated, she's sensitive. Um, I'm the kind of person, if I don't want to come home, I'll call and say, hey, I'm not, I'm not, I'm giving me a room. I'm not coming home tonight. I'm just going to read. It doesn't freak her out. Most women, where you going to stay? Oh, uh, they, they think I got some dame somewhere. It's like, why would I go from one woman to another woman? It's like, uh, I just need a break from everybody. And so I'll take those breaks and she doesn't, it doesn't flip her out, you know? And that's, that's why I say most women couldn't handle me because I, I just might not, I don't feel like coming home. I ain't coming. I'll see you tomorrow. And that's just kind of my personality, you know? Um, and she can flow with it like water. So that's what made me change my mind is the kind of personality and spirit that she has. And I saw that she was serious about her walk with God, because I am. And the uh, way I got to know who she was, my mom gave me a very powerful secret when I was uh, coming up. After I'd messed up and married a couple times, my mother told me, she said, baby, when you date these little women, stop whispering in their ear and coaching them on what you like and what you don't like and just see what kind of woman they are. And that changed everything for me because after that, I had no more confusion about what I wanted to do with my life or what kind of woman I wanted in my life. That kind of cleared it up for me, was stop telling people what I like in a woman and this and that and sweet talking and don't do that. Just see what kind of woman that is. Mm -hmm. That was some of the most profound advice I've ever gotten. And that made the difference. Uh, it's just being honest with me. And that's how I got this one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I've never heard that, but it makes a lot of sense. It does. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. And it works both ways. Yeah. You know, for men and women. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but. um. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I'm, I would definitely say that um, I guess one of the reasons why, and I know he keeps saying that that's why she can handle me, Sandra can handle me, because I trust him totally. I have total trust in him. I mean, you know, he has never, ever shown me a reason to not trust him. <laughs> and as ladies grow up and date other people, yeah, you get in relationships where you, you know, you see this person isn't as trusting and, you know, and they're going off here and there. I've never, ever had 
th that situation ever with Michael T. So I t completely and totally trust him. But I remember when we first got married and he, there was, I don't know, he was, I don't remember if he was in the house and this was before kids too. So I don't remember if he was in the house or if he wasn't, he hadn't even come home yet, but he was gone. Like, I was like, where the heck is he? What's he doing? Calling, trying to call him. He's not picking up his cell phone. He's not picking up the phone. Or at, at that time, it was a pager. Did we even have cell phones? Maybe we had cell phones at yeah, that time. Yeah. I had a phone. Okay, yeah. So I'm like, I just didn't get it. And, and then he would call or, or come home hours later and then tell me I just needed to... I just needed to get away. I just needed to get out. I just needed to drive. And so he said, I just drove. I just drove out to the beach or I just drove and drove. And so the first couple of times that it happened, I was a little upset because I didn't really understand. I didn't really know what was going on. Plus, I mean, we're newly married. I'm going, what the world? You know, I've never experienced this before. Um, and then once I became a lot more secure in who we were as a couple, and in him and in myself as well, then I was like, okay, he needs the time. So I, that's probably a good thing. So, you know, yeah, let him take the time then. He needs his time. We never established rules for that. No. No, this, listen, this, this is, um, it's interesting. When Sandra and I first got together and got married, I had not shared with her the details of my having been molested as a kid. I just let her know that it had happened, but I didn't go under the too many layers beneath the surface of it. And what she's talking about is I would sometimes go to the store, say, I'll be back. She's at home expecting me because she's going to cook something. And I go to the store and I would see something that would remind me, it would trigger those memories. And I would just leave the store, abandon everything I was supposed to get at the store and get in my car and just drive because I didn't want to take that energy and that rage home. And so I wouldn't tell her what it was, but I'd be gone for like four, five, six hours, man. <laughs> and I would just ride way out past Malibu. And when I get out, walk at the beach and or just hang out by my car. And then I, when I felt started feeling like I was coming down, I drive back toward the house until I felt better. And then I go home. Then it's like, now nah, I got to deal with her. You know, six hours later, here I come. And so I just wouldn't really talk about it. And then the interesting, the most profound thing is, is um, one day I just decided I would tell the whole truth. And I told her, you remember me telling mm -hmm. you? I told her everything things that trigger that. I said, sometimes I see things. I'll see a little boy, I'll see somebody looking at a little kid, or I'll see something that triggers it and it sets me off and I just have to go. And, um, but once I told her the whole truth about it, I've never had that problem anymore. Right. And it, ever. And that goes back to, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. It's like, I just told her the truth of it. And I've not, since that moment, I never. I remember when he's, yeah. I never had that problem I don't know how many again. years he's done it. That I still see things that make me uh, think about it. 
but it's not necessarily a trigger. It's just a, if I, I remember being in Century City, seeing a man follow some children and he was creepy. So the kids weren't even paying attention, but I was with my manager at the time and I told her, I said, I'm sorry, this dude's a creep. And she said, oh my God, he's following those. I said, yeah, he's following the kids. So I told the little kids, I said, hey, you guys, listen to me. This is very important. I said, see this guy right here? He's a creep. He's been following you. So watch out for him. And the guy like looked and he freaked out and he scattered. You know, he was gone. But it's like I shut stuff down because I'm unafraid. You know what I mean? But uh, but it doesn't trigger me with so much rage that I have to just like abandon society yeah. like I used to. You know, I just had to get away from everybody. For me, the reason I decided to tell Sandra what I uh, went through as a child being molested and how it, certain things would trigger the rage was um, I felt that she deserved it to know what goes on because I had not told anyone ever. I didn't tell my brother and my brother Johnny and I tight like that. We're cool. We're tight. I didn't tell Johnny. Uh, I just felt that she should know that I'm not a weirdo. I'm not a playboy. I've been dealing with this thing. So, and it's real and you need to know it's real. But after that, I never had another issue. So I, I thought I was preparing her to be able to have better insight and intel uh, in regard to that personal crisis that I would uh, encounter periodically, but I never had it again after that. So it, mm. it was like telling the truth and then being set free because mm. you told the truth. Mm -hmm. It's really mm -hmm. cool. Ooh, what would you say is a time when we experienced the most challenge or growth? I remember us having a financial challenge, remember? Oh, gosh. Yeah. We I, had, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, we, listen, we had this, uh, and when I go to churches and talk to young people, I try to remind young people to tithe. It is so important to tithe because if you don't, you're stealing from God. All that money ain't yours. Most of it, you can do whatever you want to do with it. But there's spiritual work that has to be done and people have needs. You can't just meet your own needs. You got to meet the, if you consider everybody else a child of God, you got to help meet some of their needs too. And that's one of the things where we had faltered for a while is mm -hmm. we had a very difficult time. I remember getting down to at one particular point to the last $1,100 we had to our name. Remember? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, yeah it may have been got down to much. the last $1,100 to mm -hmm. our name and it wasn't enough to pay mortgage or anything. Mm -hmm. And so we always believe that if it's not enough money to meet your need, all it is is seed. So plant it. So we took that $1,000 and I remember we prayed over it and we sent it in what, two or four different different we sent it in four oh, different yeah. records. Mm -hmm. I think we sent it out to four different ministries that we know do good work and really help people. And my business manager at the time, I sense I've let that cat go, but he called me when the check cleared the bank and he said, 
Now, I'm as religious as anybody, but uh, surely the Lord could wait till you get a job, right? And when he said that, I realized he's from a different tribe. He's, he's not a person of faith. Of course, it doesn't make sense to most people what you just did, that you've only got a hundred and something dollars in your bank account. You've got mortgages, you've got this, you've got that. But within, by that middle of that next week, uh, I was- Isn't that when you got 24? That's when I got, yeah, 24. And I was making a lot of money, but it just turned around like that. And so that to me was the most difficult time in our lives financially. Oh, yeah, that, yeah and then there was another time where I had a wonderful agent and <clears throat> all of a sudden business started faltering and she mm -hmm. wasn't able to help me as much and I didn't know what was going on. So I got a different agent. They were worse. Yeah. So there's like a three and a half year period where we were living off of our life savings, retirement. off of our retirement. And then I found out that my former agent, whom I loved, was sick and had passed away of cancer and had not told any of her colleagues in her office. And that's what she was challenged with. But she never said anything because I guess she didn't want people to start abandoning the business. But it really affected my life in a very harsh mm -hmm. way. Well, as actors, we're both actors. I wasn't. I was a DGA, I've been a DGA director since the late 1980s. But when we had kids, I stopped directing because it, directing keeps me on the road far too long. So I would take the actor check so I could come back and forth. And I've been really blessed financially as an actor because my check doesn't look like a lot of other black actors' checks, just bigger. And that's a shame that people do make a difference in us, but it still ain't the white guy check. You know what I'm saying? So we've been very fortunate. We make a lot of money, but sometimes it'll be months in between jobs. And- uh, You have to learn. And you have to learn to, to budget mm -hmm. and go without and do what you need to do to make stuff work. And I had done a, when I had this amazing little boutique agency, we had done a, she was very effective in keeping us busy, but then all of a sudden everything stopped. And I didn't work. I remember going on Broadway, hit show, most the biggest hit non-musical on Broadway and coming home and not working for six months. And then I worked on, was 24. You worked on 24 while you were doing Fences? Because no. you remember when you were in New York and people would go, oh, you're on 24. Oh, you're on 24. Okay, so it was 24 first. It was 24 first. Then nothing then it was, for six months. Then, then I got the fences. job on Broadway on Fences. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then nothing for six months. And then I changed agents. And that was like a three-year journey of nothing. Because I would walk in, the guy's got his feet crossed up on the desk, and he'd take his feet down. I was like. He's like, oh, I didn't know you were going to stop by. I was like, me either. But I just realized, hey, I'm just two blocks from my agency. Let me stop by and say hello. So that dude faltered. And then my we were living off my residuals. residuals and and yeah. uh, for people who don't know, actors get mailbox money. You know, it just shows up just, in the mailbox. It, yeah, it's a called residual. a residual check. Yeah. 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 
And, um, and so we were living off the residuals and I was remodeling kitchens and bathrooms. Mm -hmm. I was doing all kinds of stuff to keep yeah. us going. We were living off residual checks with three little kids and paying a mortgage and agents that were not, they were underperforming and living off our retirement as well. And it was going down, 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 down. And it was the kind of retirement that I have to pay taxes if I take money out and don't get it back right. in time. So I was getting hit with extreme elevated taxation because of it. And so I started remodeling kitchens and bath. And this is since Forrest Gump, remodeling kitchens and bathrooms and doing tile jobs and all kinds of stuff, remodeling friends, homes and churches and all kinds of stuff to make ends meet. It was rough. It was in the middle 2000s, like what, around 2010? Something somewhere around in there. Mm. I'm trying to remember Thought when it was Nicole, because Nicole yeah. was in fifth grade. I'm trying it may have been 2009, 2010, something like that. Yeah. I can tell you a moment where I learned a whole lot about my wife in a quick moment. Listen, we were having our first child. Oh my gosh. And my mother-in-law is out here <laughs> in California. We're at Cedar Sinai. We got huh. the nice suite. And oh my, my wife made me miss all the Laker playoffs because I was in the Lamage. What is that? Tremage. Lamage. Lamage class. I was in that thing rubbing and, and she was blowing and I'm rubbing. There. I was like, the Lakers are playing, man. I gotta be in here rubbing. My child. <laughs> and so I missed the whole Laker playoffs doing the Lamage stuff, right? And so I didn't say anything. I was cool. I was like, you know, the Lakers, I'm missing the Lakers. We get to the delivery room the day of, she's gonna have this natural childbirth. Baby, that pain kicked in. She screamed, ah! And I started doing the, the Lamage. She said, stop touching me. <laughs> I was like, I could have seen the playoffs, man. What's using up? some much more, much right. more colorful words. And then, <laughs> then, then the it was the pain would come and hit her at certain points, and uh, her mom and I were in the delivery room, and the nurse was talking to her. Well, it was prior to the delivery. It was prior room. to the delivery room, and the nurse was filling out a form. Filling out forms. She was asking you. I mean, leave. different personal questions. She said, "What's your faith?" And so Sandra <laughs> goes, <laughs> Sandra goes, Christian, fuck, <laughs> man, man, her mother went, her mother went oh dear, boy. <laughs> I laughed and the nurse went, <laughs> right? it was so funny. The nurse has probably but, seen everything. But I realized in that moment, I'm like, okay. When it's time to get real, she'll get real. <laughs> you know what I mean? She'll go with the moment. So I learned a lot about it because she was so composed and so Southern Bellish <laughs> until that moment. Then she broke out like, what's up? <laughs> so, you know. Oh, um, yeah. But that, that was, was a defining yeah. moment for that, me. I can understand I that. I knew I had a yeah. real one. I'm like, I got a real one. Right I here. can understand that. Oh, gosh. Okay, let's see. When was a defining moment for me? Um, there have been lots of moments when I guess I've realized um, the husband that I have. I think one time in particular was 
Um, it was actually 9-11. And we were in Atlanta. Um, we had a meeting with my whole, my, my family, my, my brother, my sisters, my mom, myself, and Michael T was there too. Um, and we had a meeting with a mediator. Uh, my mother had sued my father's doctor. Wrongful death. Mal malpractice, yeah. yeah. And so we were having, it was, you know, because they don't want to go to trial or whatever. So Settlement there. negotiation. Thank you, settlement negotiation. Yeah. And we had just found out that's when, that was 9-11. We didn't know we were all getting dressed that morning and we had come to the, gone to the, to the uh, lawyer's office, and then that's when we found out. We saw it on the television yeah, in we the saw conference room. Yeah, and that's when everyone in the office was telling us what had happened. And I would say Michael T., because my father wasn't there, obviously, because it was in regards to his death, Michael T. was the head of the family. He was the head of the family. And it, it wasn't as if anyone said, okay, Michael T., now you're gonna be the head of the family, uh, and my brother was fine. He was okay with it. Because Michael T is such a strong person and he has a lot of knowledge. He has a lot of wisdom. He has just, um, he's just very secure man and a secure human being. And he just kind of took on the role of the patriarch kind of, of the family that day. And I just, and I sat there and I realized, oh my gosh, my husband is, because my mother would defer things to Michael T, you know? And so that just, I think that, it was a really tough day. And it just, it just opened up my eyes and he's so much stronger than I thought he ever was. And that my family thought the same thing, you know, and they still do because they still, everybody thinks that that's the way we all think of him. You know, and I have a brother-in-law, I have a brother, but it's Michael T. You know, he's the go-to guy. So, anyway. No, I just wanted the best for the family, for my mother-in-law, and I didn't want this slick attorney trying to pitch and negotiate uh, against what was needed. And I studied law a lot, and I was able to like deal with him on his own level. And I think everybody was kind of taken by surprise that I understood the language, I understood negotiation tactics, and we were able to get what was deserved and what was warranted and fair. Mm -hmm. And uh, they, we all walked away that day. They were a little bit nervous, but they knew that they, everybody, that the family was in good hands that we were not gonna just let, I was not gonna let them just be bowled over. And so we gave the other attorneys food for thought and they came back later and came correct. Yep, they did. Yeah. Well, I guess I've learned in 22 years of marriage that, um, you know, um, that I guess getting back to kind of what I said in the beginning, which is the fact that you can go through situations that are not great or you can have disagreements or you can say something that maybe hurt the other person and that the other person is dealing with or that they hurt you. But in the end, knowing 
the type of spouse that you have, knowing the person and knowing Michael T from my, me and knowing the person he is, I just have to kind of let all that go. And I guess, and realize that in the end, he is such a good person and he's such a great guy and he's such a great person and he's a wonderful, wonderful human being and just a wonderful man. So I just have learned that I have to just kind of, I guess I've learned that I'm a lot easier at letting things just kind of wash away and go away. And I would probably say over the 22 years, it started in here with letting things just kind of roll off your back to here. Now it's like, okay, it roll off my back like in, I don't know, in less than five minutes now. Whereas before it may have been two hours, three hours, four hours, whatever. Now it's like five minutes is off my back. It's done, we're done. You know, we're back to being ourselves now or less than five minutes, you know, it's done. And so I've learned that I can move on so fast now because he is so important to me and in my life. And he's so, he's so important to my life. And I don't want to do anything to mess that up, you know, and, and especially something so dumb as, well, now you've hurt me and I don't ever want to talk to you again. And I, no, I mean, you know. He hasn't ever done anything that warrants that. So let it roll off my back. That's good. That's good. Okay. You like that one? I like that. Okay. It's good. <laughs> and what, what I've learned in 22 years of marriage is uh, about us and about me is that we're worth it. The, my daughters are amazing. They're younger versions of my wife. And for me, that makes the marriage successful is that my children have been raised properly because I, I'm on the road a lot as an actor. Some, sometimes I'm on the road as much as 10 months out of the year and I bounce back home, it's, you know, in between. But if you put all the dates together, it's, I've been gone about 10 months and she's got it. She's holding it down. I come home, sometimes I feel a little odd being home trying to break back into like the earth's atmosphere. Re-entry can be awkward for me because she's got a system at home and I'm trying to figure out the system, you know? But I would say I feel like the most fortunate man that I could ever be. And I never talk about my wife to other men because I don't want them to feel bad if they don't have what I have. But by the same token, you don't want them to go, hmm, let me see if I can get up in there. You know, because it won't be, the, she wouldn't be the same for them anyway that she is to me, because she's, she's responding to me and my needs. So, but I would say it's worth it. Everything we've been through has been worth it. Absolutely worth it. Yeah, it's led us to the point where we are today and being just a solid couple.